I hate for your words, always. Happy New Year to you all. Last time uh, we had our service, we recorded our service uh, because my family and I were on vacation over the past week. And I, I tell you what, it was a good time to get away and to spend time with our family. And I was looking forward to coming back into, uh, coming back, we went to Maui, uh, Lahaina, looking forward to coming back and you know, moving into 2021 and start planning and start thinking about what does that mean for our congregation. And I was kind of getting some excitement to be back and to be well, to be with you all and to guide us into what 2021 might have for us. And it didn't happen, uh, it didn't take very long until my phone started to kind of blow up, basically, right? Uh, news headline, news headline, news headline, and I was trying my best because we were trying to get out the door, you know, pack everything back up in our suitcases and get to the airport on time and, and do all that. And then we finally kind of got on the plane and I saw an image that I'm sure is stuck in so many of our minds this morning as we gather for worship of people scaling the walls of the Capitol. And as in that moment, my hopes and aspirations and all the things of 2021 and what it would bring all of a sudden came to a crashing halt, right? And we started saying to ourselves, you know, on Facebook and other places, can we get a refund on 2021 already? <laughs> can we go back? Can we erase the first seven days? And friends, I wanted to have a much different sort of sermon and kind of everything ready, but it's been a hard 2021 already. And the images of a Confederate flag at our Capitol, no matter where you stand on the political spectrum, I think for so many of us are just unsettling, unnerving. And so I've been praying since that, you know, I had stuff prepared for this morning, but what do we have to say to our congregation, to our people? What do we as a church have to say to those around us? And I don't really know exactly what to say, frankly. But let me tell you where I'll begin. Because I've been praying a lot about it, and I have uh, both the the curse, but also the blessing of having a Facebook feed that, um, and if you're not on Facebook, basically what happens on Facebook sometimes is you kind of like, only get the voices that you want to hear. Um, but I have on my Facebook feed, kind of like the Thanksgiving dinner table, when you gather around with family and you have all the voices of your life, the both both sides of the spectrum on my feed. And so I have uh, uh, friends that are posting this thing and friends that are posting that thing. And, and I've just got the both blessing, like I said, and also curse because I see how divided we can be on my feed. And as I was thinking about that, and, and, and what can we say? What can we pray for? What can we do in the midst of that? I was reminded of a failing of a lot of people, especially of me. And that's the failing to assume we're right. Failing to assume that God is on our side. What do I mean by that? I remember I was a chaplain for our high school hockey team. I had a number of my friends on it, and the coach, he didn't seem, you know, very much religious, but he was an English teacher in our high school and really nice guy, and he allowed, the other, the, allowed me to come in and pray before the games. And I remember, because um, the other players wanted me to do that, and that was kind of my role with them. And so I'd pray before the games, and um, one day uh, they had a particularly hard game coming up, and I, I prayed that 
we would win the game. And immediately afterwards, he pulls me aside and he says, Brian, never pray that again in the locker room. <laughs> and I, I didn't quite understand. I just read a book called The Prayer of Jabez, and people were telling me that you should ask God for what you desire and that God gives you what you desire. And so I was an, a new Christian, and, and that's what people were telling me. And so I, I prayed the desire, right? We wanted to win the game. And he said to me, Brian, never pray that again. And I didn't quite understand him. You know, I didn't know if he even had a sense of religion or what it was. He didn't talk about it, surely. And I didn't know where it came from, but he was the coach, so I respected him because I appreciated the opportunity to pray with the team before the games. And it wasn't until I was on a mission trip in uh, a Native American reservation in Minnesota with some others, and we were doing vacation Bible school. We were doing vacation Bible school for the kids, and, and we had a, a great day planned for them. Of course, it had everything to do with being outside and playing outside and the games that were ready and the clouds the darkness just kind of came in, right? And I remember everyone was like, okay, we got to go pray. We got to pray that God would just clear up the skies and that, you know, it wouldn't rain because we want these kids just to have the best vacation Bible school week ever. And then one of the kapuna, which they don't use that word, but the older Native American said to us, it's interesting because you know what? We haven't had rain in a few weeks and some of the crops nearby desperately need the rain. He wasn't trying to critique us. I think he was just trying to remind us that sometimes our prayers and our desires and what we think is what we need in this moment is not the right way to go. And sometimes we cannot always assume that God is on our side. One of the beauties of being a United Methodist is that we are a denomination that spreads across the globe. And there is a con constant reminder that when we talk about God being for us as a church, it's beyond our understanding of nation even. That we're a church of diversity and the church spans different cultural contexts in different nations in different places. And then beyond that, when we gather for baptism in our church, there's a three-tiered layer for us. The closest to home is joining the local church. Us here at Kailu United Methodist Church. But we also tell people you're joining the United Methodist Church, a global denomination with the diversity that it brings. But the first thing that we remind people is that when we join the church, the body of Christ, it's the universal church. The one that gathers around the apostolic faith the Apostles' Creed that goes back to 125 BC or something early on like that, that proclaims in God, in God's Son, and in the Holy Spirit. Our triune faith. Catholics, Baptists, Protestants, Methodists, Lutherans, Episcopals, Pentecostals. Yet it is easy to assume that God is on our side. 
our particular one right here, or vantage point. I say that's the danger because I truly think it's the danger. I've talked about this before, but many years ago, some of the most profound theologians, Karl Barth and his student, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, saw that danger. They saw that danger in a, a group of Christians that put their name behind a program to renew the traditional values of Germany. To go back and reach into the heritage and find the Volk. And if you don't know what I'm referencing, some of you do know what I'm referencing is the rise of the Third Reich in Nazi Germany. And I'm mentioning this because one of the most traumatizing images for me was an image of someone wearing a shirt, Camp Auschwitz, in our nation's capital. That alongside the Confederate flags, alongside all of the craziness that we saw. Bonhoeffer speaks of justice. But he also warns us of the danger of assuming God is on your side because he watched it rise up from the people in Germany. He watched it rise up and then proclaim a particular way to live, a particular way to act, a particular heritage is what would save those people. And then he went to Harlem. And he worshiped at a Baptist church there. And it was amongst the African-American church that he worshiped with that he began to see things differently. The assumptions of what someone is based on their color of their skin or the heritage that they may or may not have is a dangerous assumption. And at Harlem, it broke down his perspective of ethics, of morality, and it changed. And he writes in his book, Life Together, about how we as Christians come together. And he says that we ought to come together in Christ. Which is super cryptic to what he's actually talking about. And he says that the most dangerous thing we can do as Christians is assume the immediacy of love. What does he mean by that? If I say I love you, and I love the components of who you are, I'm also saying I know you. So I may love your brown hair or your characteristics or whatever that is, but I know you. I can kind of put you in a box and say, this is who you are to me. And it's dangerous because it does not allow that person to live into the freedom of God. Because if you put it into another context, if someone is black or white or wearing a Trump shirt or 
a Biden shirt, whatever it is, you can put them into a box and you can know who they are and who they will become. And my professors in divinity school would say it's the greatest of our sin in relationship to racism and sexism to confine one to the parameters that we set for them. Friends, Jesus, when he began his ministry, went into the water and was baptized. And the Apostle Paul says that we go into the waters with Jesus. Honestly, I think so many people wake up not trying to produce evil or injustice in the world, but work out of their sense of right, of loving one another. Whether it's their children or their nation, I don't know, but they move out of a sense of optimism. Well, maybe not optimism, but of what they view as good. So many of us want to feel right want to feel good about our actions, about who we are, who our children grow up to be. And the word that stuck with me from our gospel reading this morning is the voice of God calling out, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, the beloved. If you are looking for what it means to be beloved, we find it in Christ. That you are proclaimed God's beloved through the baptismal waters by which not you were submerged, but Jesus himself. When we are baptized, we are baptized into the very same water of Jesus. That means when God sees us, God sees Jesus. God sees the beloved. And of course, we're Methodists. Well, here in this church we are, which is to say that the baptismal waters is a proclamation of the grace of the love that goes before us. That when God sees our neighbors, that when God sees different nationalities, perspectives, God sees Jesus. What do you see? I'm tempted to see the people on the other side of the political spectrum, and I'm tempted to put them in their box. but then that might create the exact same problem that I see in them. Jesus has this crazy phrase. And mind you, Jesus is talking to people that are persecuted and oppressed. But take out the plank in your own eye for taking out, before taking out the speck in your neighbor's. 
He calls us to self-reflection and to confession and to call for forgiveness. And Bonhoeffer reminds us that it's only as we see Christ in our neighbor can we truly learn to love. Because Christ frees us to be who God made us to be. Christ is the one in whom we are called God's beloved. And do we search for that in the other? Step one, see Christ in the other. Because then you might be able to find compassion, to approach with humility, to listen in a way that you otherwise would disregard. But it does not end there for Bonhoeffer. Because Bonhoeffer also calls to live justice. Because the voice of the beloved is one that stretches across the boundaries that we create. And Jesus stands with the outcasts, the marginalized, the sinners, the tax collectors, the poor. And he calls blessed a particular set of people, the children, the last, but then in the Beatitudes, the peacemakers, those thirsty for righteousness. Jesus calls us to justice. See Christ in the other and then live out justice. That's how we see the waters of baptism in real life. I say it to parents, whenever I go through baptism course with them or talk about it before they baptize a child or for an adult, I say, how might we see one another not as they are, but see them through the waters of baptism? We might see one as beautiful, as unique in God's image. Whatever label or characteristic that they might carry, we might now see as an opportunity to reveal the beauty of God's mosaic in the world rather than something that we look down upon and frown upon and oppress and push to the side. And when we see others doing that to them, we stand where Jesus stood with the brokenhearted, the voiceless, the poor, and we go. We see through the waters of baptism and we know that the only way we have come to inherit this blessing, this favor, if you will, of God, is because Jesus did.
we did nothing and do nothing. Instead, we're part of a broader, bigger, more beautiful image of what it means to be human, what it means to be one in the body of Christ. So like I said, when I watched those storm the Capitol, the most disturbing of them, the images, were those like Camp Auschwitz and the reminders of a people that might pursue racism and supremacy over unity. But the temptation for us is to see that and to box everyone else in with it. Just like they see the other side and box anyone who listens to different stations and newses that they listen to in the same way. Because friends, that's what I see on Facebook, at least. Boxing and boxing. And all the while, God's calling us to Christ and to justice. I invite you to pray with me.